Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome to Hashtag Gen Z. I'm your host, Megan Grace. Hello and welcome back. This is episode 44 of Hashtag Gen Z. This episode will be the last of the season. Don't worry, it's a great one. If you started this episode with hopes that I would finally share how Gen Z got their name, I regret to inform you that is not fully what this episode is about. I'm happy to share about that later, but this episode focuses on the role of names and identity and understanding the values of a generation. As we know, Generation Z is a diverse generation. In just about every way we can look at diversity, Gen Z is leading the way in making diversity and diverse identities feel welcomed and included in society. And names are no different. As my guests will share in more detail, we're seeing more diversity in names among Generation Z as the babies being named, but also in the names that the very oldest of Generation Z are giving their own children. My guest this episode is Sophie Keem, a baby name expert, consultant, and name berries editor-in-chief. She's advised celebrities and other parents about choosing baby names since 2015 and has been widely featured in the media and quoted in places like Washington Post, People, and more. In addition, her job is a name expert. Sophie's a therapist in Chicago specializing in perinatal mood disorders, including anxiety, depression, and OCD. She primarily works with parents on issues related to pregnancy and parenting, which occasionally means talking about baby names. Sophie takes an interdisciplinary approach to names and naming, and she considers psychology, history, sociology, statistics, and creativity of naming, which informs her work as a baby name expert and consultant. Please help me in welcoming Sophie to the conversation. I'm very excited to welcome my guest today, Sophie. Um, We are going to have a great chat today about names and the role that names play in identity and culture. Um, So welcome to the podcast, Sophie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, so you have a very cool job. Um, I know we were able to kind of chat a little bit before, Um, but tell us a little about your journey. First of all, what do you do? Um, I think you're going to share a lot of really wonderful insights with us today, Um, but tell us a little bit more about what you do and your journey of how you got to where you are. And if I'm correct, you are Gen Z. So we really doubled up on this one. I'm very excited about that. (laughs) I'm I'm an older Gen Z. I was born in in 1997. Uh, yeah, I'm the editor in chief of Nayberry, which is the world's largest website about names. Uh, you know, normally people come to us looking for baby names, but you know, we also see a lot of people who are searching for names for themselves for a pet, you know, anything else. Um, and I got started working at, at Mayberry a long time ago. I was really interested in names as a child. I think as a lot of young girls can be um, interested in pregnancy and babies and parenting and that you know, translated into names as this more interdisciplinary approach uh, to 
to all of that, maybe a little bit more academic because you can look at it from the statistics, history, psychology, sociology perspectives. And yeah, I, you know, started just working with Mayberry when I was in, in college and eventually, you know, went on to have, have this role. First of all, I love an interdisciplinary girl like me. Um, because you truly, I think, to understand some of the, like, kind of strangest trends, you have to, like, understand lots of different things. And I, I think that's absolutely true um, in trying to understand a generation. And you probably similarly um, have to look at lots of different things that drive different trends um, within names. And I think it's such an interesting concept that we just, like, we have a name and we're conscious of it. Either we love it or we hate it. And that is really what we get into today. Not if we hate our names. I think mine's pretty great. Yours is also very lovely. Um, but I love that you take an interdisciplinary approach to that because it's not just, and, and that, I think that's a big misconception around trends is that there's like one driving factor. Like all of a sudden we're, this is cool because blank. Like there's a lot of different things that contribute to that. Um, I do have to ask you, have you read Freakonomics? Yeah, I, I have. I'm sure you love that one chapter where they go into the names in depth about like the economy and like how popular names so, are apparently in economics. Yeah, uh, I when I was in high school, I think I wrote uh, my junior year research paper based on that entire chapter. So it was it was right up my alley. I, I absolutely love economics in general, but. What I, I just feel like you and I could talk about like um, girls who love fun stats, like, you know, like people think like stats are like really boring and like dodgy and old and like rigid, but you're out here writing your junior paper on the stats of names, which I just think is fantastic and lovely. I'm like the same person, like I weird stats. I love weird stats, like, but truly statistics, not just like random percentages, like a good, nice statistical model of something strange is like my favorite. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. I mean, maybe it'll come up. So let's talk about names. Like you've already started to allude that there's so much importance to our name. Um, but what do you think from your perspective? And I know you work with a lot of clients on this. Um, what does, how do our names play a role in our identity? And then even like a larger sense thinking about a generational cohort. Absolutely. I, names are really our first sense of identity. So it's interesting that Babies recognize their name around the same time they realize that they are a separate person from their primary caregiver. So that happens for babies, you know, within the first four to seven months, typically, depends on the on the child. But that is that's happening at the same exact time. And so names are really what we think of ourselves as. And they can they can really shape who who we are. You know, people may treat us certain ways because we have our name. You know, you think about a child named Maverick versus a child named Elias. Now, those two names are are ranked right next to each other on the popularity rankings. But just our perceptions of what those names, you know, who, who might wear those names can affect how we treat someone and then, you know, can affect your behavior if someone is is treating you differently because of your name. But I think what's interesting about names is that, you know, most of the time they tell us much more about our parents than they tell us about ourselves. So our parents are the ones who name us and we name children based on our values. And so you may have a really traditional name and not be a super traditional person. It says much more about who 
parents are. But this is really changing with Gen Z as the generation that's more likely than any other to change their own name and shape their own identity. They're saying, oh, no, I don't have to live with this name that doesn't fit who I am. You know, this name that, that my parents gave me, I can make my name match my identity. That is, I've so many things. Um, first of all, I'm so guilty of treating people based on like a preconceived notion of a name. And just a funny little thing, like uh, in high school, I taught tennis camp and there was this one sweet soul that just gave me a really hard time, like from like a little kid perspective, just like wasn't the nicest kid. And I held on to that name as a name that like I did not love. And like, you don't want to typecast people, but I'm sure that everyone can talk about this one name that like rubs them the wrong way. We come back around 15, 20 years later and one of my husband's best friends has that name. And then rewriting that name in my mind, right? So it's just funny that you can't unlearn, right? We can unlearn our bias. Like I admit I had bias towards this one name because like the way that that one person treated me as a kid, right? Like as a teenager. But it's so funny you say that like, yeah, you do. You think of the name Maverick versus Elias. I think Elias is like a nice scholarly young child that reads poetry and is very emotionally tuned. I think of Maverick. I mean, that kid's flying planes, right? Like I think of Top Gun, you know? And so it's just funny how we hold that, the weight of that name. Um, But that is really also your point around parents and the ways that like those who raise us and name us are what it says about them. Um, But there's a really interesting parallel because the value that when we think about generations, we learn so much. Like it's, we learn so much initially of our values that I think from our parents in our immediate think like um, social circle, you know, friends, parents, and your educators usually, and the people right in your community before you start to think of like this huge worldview. And that's how generations we tend to look at it as like the parenting styles. And then we also think about the what's going on in the world at this time and how those things shift. And we're seeing that play out in some, certainly within some names. Um, I would love to know a little bit more because I know that name varies doing all the school research and kind of tracking the trends and the findings around names. What are some of the um, interesting things that y'all have found about, let's say Gen Z that have been, that have been named, uh, you know, the children of Gen Z right now? Like what are some trends that we're seeing among Gen Zers related to their own? Yeah, well, you know, names are becoming more and more unique over time. And so this didn't just start with with Gen Z, but this is definitely a trend that Gen Z is propagating with their own children. You know, the percentage of children being given the top names decreases every year. And the Social Security Administration, which is where we get the national baby name data, records all names given to five or more babies of a single sex in a year. And that the, the number of names each year that they are recording is, is growing. And Gen Z is also choosing for their children names that are more culturally diverse, um, names that, that have very strong cultural ties, right? Not ones that are intended to assimilate. So we see more distinctly Sanskrit, Arabic, Japanese, you know, Latin American names making the charts, which is, which is great. And then the big one is gender neutral names. So this trend was already in the works, um, you know, Gen Z was kind of the, when, when it 
when, when the fire really started under this trend. But the names that we're giving to the current generation of babies, you know, and Gen Z's uh, parents, uh, older members of Gen Z are, are parents for some of some of those children, is that gender neutral names, which means names that are given to male and female babies pretty equally, you know, at Mayberry, we define that within, you know, a 30% margin rather than, uh, you know, 90% margin for, um, for unisex names. So gender neutral names, they're rising for both male and female babies. And historically, the trend has been once a name is once a male, a traditionally male name is adopted for a female baby, the number of male babies given the name goes down. Parents don't want their sons to share names with girls. And so there's this uh, misogyny, uh, this, this sexism that, that comes through that. And we're seeing less and less of that. More names are being introduced to the name pool that are used for both girls and boys. Um, in relatively equal numbers and parents are not abandoning these names for their sons as quickly or at all in some cases depends on the name can you give us an example of one of those like i'm trying to like i know that you know this outside of head because you're like a name genius but what is an example of where we're seeing kind of that trend play out where we're seeing more gender neutrality in names but not the abandonment of like oh a girl's Girls are more named blank, so now we're in the name. I, a, a big example of that is the name Charlie, which has, uh, you know, been around the time that, that you and I were born. This was a strongly male name. I, my brother is named Charlie. He was named after um, our great grandfather, right? This is this is a historically male name, and so girls have really become the top wearers of this name now. Charlie is more popular as a given name for girls than it is for boys. And that the, the data doesn't account for nicknames, right? So you see Charlie being used as a nickname for Charlotte for girls and Charles for boys. And Charlotte's the number three most popular name for girls right now. So, you know, compared to, to Charles, which is, which is much lower. So just thinking about, uh, you know, the the likelihood that a lot of those Charlottes are probably called Charlie as well, and Charlie, full stop, ranks higher for girls than boys. It's a much more popular name for girls, but this hasn't, we haven't seen Charlie really decline for boys. Parents are still using it for their sons. A lot of, you know, it's it's still rising in popularity for, for daughters. People are okay with it, that, you know, their son Charlie might have a girl named Charlie or, or two, quite possibly, uh, in, in his class that, that share his name. As a Megan born in 1990, I can tell you right now, there was always so many Megans. And to this day, two of my very closest friends are also named Megan. Like, we need to get real creative in our nicknames. Um, but you bring up a good point around, um, I think we're also seeing more intentionality around, uh, and you could be like, Megan, you're absolutely false. Um, but I feel like people, at least because I have a lot of friends that are in this era of like, we're going to name this kid, right? Like, and so they're being intentional around just like the Charlotte, Charlie, Charles, Charlie situation. What is a nickname you can give this kid? Right. And, or like, what is a nickname that we're not thinking of that could be given to this child and thinking about that maybe more intentionally? Is that like true, false? Like, or is that, has that always been around? 
Well, I, you know, I think parents parents are thinking more about all of the, the possibilities with the name, for sure. One thing that we're seeing less of, just anecdotally, there's not good data to, to support this one way or the other, but children are less likely to tease their peers based on their names and are less likely to nickname their peers. I think this is just because of the greater diversity in the name pool generally that um, children are just used to having classmates with names they may have never encountered before or um, you know, a in their class that, that goes by their full name. You don't, you don't need to nickname it. So I think just culturally in America, we're, we're not nicknaming names as much. And if a parent does want to use a nickname, they get to decide that more. Now that doesn't work in every case. You know, sometimes, you know, maybe your middle schooler will will get a nickname from from their friends or something like that. But generally, this is the direction that we we see that going in. That is really interesting. And also, shout out to Sebastian. That's our dog's name. And I'm surprised he didn't like peek his head up. Like, I'm a part of this conversation. Absolutely not a part of this conversation. But shout out to Sebastian's out there. It's a cute name. Um, but it's also very hard to nickname. Like all of his nicknames are nothing related to his name, as most dogs are, is what happens. But I do think that's really interesting because I think back on my time again, there's like a bajillion Megans, Megans and Jessicas and Emily's and Samantha's. Like we were ruling the world in the nineties. And with being there's so many Megans, I can't believe I'm sharing this out loud, but so many Megans, like again, we have to get creative in the nicknaming and my nickname did not come from my parents. Like historically up until about college I went by Gracie because my last name was Grace but Grace felt too demure like too calm for me and so I went by Gracie by like literally everyone or the solid two initials MG and I'm still to that day rocking that one out yeah I think it's really interesting that that, that what you're observing is that young people children are not nicknaming their their peers and it might also be because there's just more name diversity that we don't have to determine like discern between multiple Michaels, multiple Megans, multiple Sarahs in the class because there is a greater diversity of those names. And like you might be the only Emily in your class. I doubt that's true, but like you might be the only Emily in your class. So you don't need a, an identifier. Yeah. So, you know, parents will come to me and say that they grew up with a really popular name. There were three other Michaels, two other Jessicas in their class, and they don't want their child to have that experience. And I always tell them that names are much less popular, even at the top, than they were when their generation was born. And that this isn't something that they have to worry about. You know, that they could name their child Liam or Olivia, which are the two most popular baby names right now. And they may not encounter another one in their class or their grade at school. It totally depends. You know, a lot of this is really dependent on community certain names will be popular in certain social circles that are not popular nationally. I live in Chicago and I know two little girls, um, same age, go to the same school. They're both named Asha, which is a very rare Sanskrit name. It's, it, it's on the rise now, but uncommon. It would, it's very unlikely that two girls would have that name in the same class and yet that is the name that repeated not something like Ava or Emma or Sophia one of the one of the top names that is really interesting because I think I've only heard the name Asha maybe twice and once was like I think it was Game of Thrones right 
So like, and to see that name kind of rise is really cool. It's a beautiful name. Um, and to see it kind of become more common is awesome. And I think what is, you know, like, I love the name Olivia. I think it's so beautiful. But again, I would be the same person that I know a bajillion Olivia baby, but there might not be an Olivia in my future child's class. Right. And so that's a different, a, a different setting. And again, Stats Girls Unite, we know that when there's more players in the pool, popularity is harder to achieve. And so if you all have your basis of popularity being five or more names or five or more babies with that name, but there's more of those to get to the top is, is a little harder, but there's, it's almost like it's saturation. Like it is saturated by more and not in a bad way, saturated with more names that are popular because of that. Um, so instead of just having Sarah, Jessica, Megan, and Emily, there are multiple other things that are also contributing in terms of popularity so fascinating so you've kind of walked us through some of like the trends you're seeing in the last few decades certainly as gen z has become uh, they've been named they're all born at this point we're done naming gen z um but since you've been able to look at that and look at those things what are some things that i know we talked about there's more names for people within generation z they're less likely to have a um appear with their name we're seeing a rise in gender neutral names kids are not bullying about names anymore which is very nice of them um, anything else we like absolutely need to know about like Gen Z is being named? So Gen Z, I mean, basically Gen Z started a lot of the trends that we're seeing now. More diversity in names, more unique names, right? Fewer kids being given the, the top names and just a, a trend towards more gender neutrality. I mean, like I, I think I wrote in, in this article, Gen Z, you know, the, the time when Gen Z was born was, was not really a time of, of gender reform, but people were starting to think a little bit differently. You know, we see um, even in the biblical names that are popular for boys, right? The millennial generation had Matthew and David and Daniel at the top. And Gen Z started to, the, the parents of Gen Z started to look toward names like Noah, Elijah, and Isaiah, which have this softer ending, right? These are still traditionally masculine names, but the the A ending sounds softer, a little bit more feminine, right? Um, and you see the rise of a lot of more androgynous girl names like Madison, Alexis, and, and Taylor, which got their start in the millennial generation, but really peaked during the Gen Z years. And that's so interesting that we went New Testament biblical names. Now we're going Old Testament biblical names for my fellow fellow Bible-following humans. Um, we just went a few pages back to find different names, which is also fun. Uh, those Old Testament names are really cool um, and have a, a completely different other nod to the fact that like, there's ties to the influence of Judaism as well. Um, so a little bit more multicultural in some cases. Um, yeah, I, and I was, I was wondering when we were going to get to the name Taylor in the sense that like, that is, I think, the most general or i don't want to say gender neutral but like androgynous like can go to anybody which is kind of nice nice name too well now it, it's, it's actually overwhelmingly feminine it's going down but because of the popularity of taylor among millennials and and gen z it it was you know i think it reached number six probably at its at its highest point and it's you know, you meet someone named Taylor, they're most likely uh, female if they were born 
a later millennial, earlier Gen Z, right? That, that's kind of the peak of the, of the name Taylor. Now, it, as it's falling for girls and staying kind of stable for boys, it's evening out a little bit. But Taylor, overwhelmingly girl. Wow. I'm learning so much today. So now I know that this is like very early and I'm like struggling to wrap my head around this that Gen Z is old, like old enough to be parents, but some of them are. I mean, like some of them are parents, not like the majority yet. Um, it just also feels like my babies are having babies kind of mindset in the sense that like, I feel like I've been trying to understand Gen Z since they were about 18. And so like for me to be thinking like they're making big kid decisions, like in the sense that they are having kids and making them as well. What are some things we're seeing from Gen Z as being parents? Like this is the first time I even thought about that. Not really, but like the first time I've like talked about it. So what are we yeah. seeing from Gen Z themselves naming their, what would be Gen Alpha baby? Yeah, it's really interesting. So we're seeing a lot more micro trends. And what I mean by that is that Gen Z parents are really zooming into their personal interests. So it could be anime or Regency literature or mythology, anything. And they're choosing names based on that. These really resonate on a personal level and feel very connected to their identity as parents. This is something that I'm passionate about, uh, a time period that I'm really interested in. Or this is related to something that, that makes me really happy. And they're passing those names down to their kids. Um, you know, we're also seeing names that are, you know, we call these traveling light names. They're very international. These names travel well, they can be translated into many languages. They tend to be short. Um, Gen Z parents are liking those. Strong sounds like X, uh, spiky, these spiky butters, B. Gen Z parents are really using those. And I think one of the one of the biggest trends that we've we've witnessed is that Gen Z they are creating more names. They are using words uh, that may not have been names historically for their babies. So if we think of celebrity examples, um, we have Stormy from from Kylie Jenner, right? That that had been used as a name, you know, sometime in the past, but it was never very popular. Uh, Bindi Irwin named her daughter Grace Warrior. This has this personal connection to her father, Steve Irwin, and Warrior. We've never heard that as a, as a name before, but it's cool. It works. And Gigi Hadid, who named her daughter Kai, spelled K-H-A-I, and this came from her grandmother's name. So Gen Z, they're getting really creative, right? They can honor people in creative ways rather than just passing down someone's name in full and creating new names that didn't exist a generation ago. You've mentioned some like the celebrity popular names. What are just some like, if you're like, this is a Gen Z parent, like, what are some of those names that we're like seeing kind of like feel very unique to this? That's a very good question. So, you know, unfortunately, the the national data does not split up by age in the U.S., although it should really have data on this. Give me a second. First of all, as you're doing this, I love this because I'm always the girl that's like, I have data on this. Give me a second. So, okay. So, name Barry, we do look at the data of the names that um, we, we split up by, by age group, and we look at the names that uh, that each each age group are visiting on our site. So, this isn't necessarily names that people are using, it's names that people are interested in, but as we always say, our internal site stats do, are really predictive of future trends. 
So visitors age 18 to 24, so that's all within within Gen Z, they are loving mythological names right now. So some of the, the top names that are unique to Gen Z visitors on our site, Andromeda, Persephone, uh, we have Calypso, Phoenix, Echo, uh, a lot of Greek mythology names. A lot of very, very long names too. You know, uh, millennial parents have been drawn to shorter names historically. You know, think of some of the top names, um, uh, Liam, Emma, right? Those were those were really popular for for millennial parents. And you know, Gen Z, they're looking at names like Alistair and Aurelius for boys, for girls. You know, we have Amaryllis, Elowen, Serafina, right? These, these really long, kind of dramatic choices, which I think are, are so fun and pretty, pretty unique. I'd say something else, again, kind of strong letters, Nyx, Phoenix, Nox. So those, all of those have an X in them. And um, a lot of names that start with A. That's this seems to be a popular letter among Gen Z right now. We we have a bunch up here on on the site that, that Gen Z loves. This is incredible. I'm gonna I might have to talk to you offline because um, I want to name my child something very historically and like heritage aligned Celtic heritage. And I don't know if you've tried to spell like a historically Celtic name. Recently, there's like a lot of hidden letters, and like I'll just like find a really weird one and tell my husband. He's like, absolutely not. Why are there so many extra letters in the name Eva in Ireland? I was like, I didn't, I didn't write the, I did not write this language. Okay, um, but yes, I, I, we will talk offline. But exactly that of like this long spelling name, but short. I also think if that's the exact opposite of like the name like Persephone, like girl, what, like. Baby Persephone, I live for you. I hope that you have a good time learning how to spell that. It's wonderful. Shout out to those Persephones out there. You are, you're killing it. Um, I do believe that as someone who has an extra letter that was unnecessary to some degree in my name, it builds character. When you got to learn extra letters as a kid, it builds character is something that I, um, I believe. Well, Sophie, I could sit and have this conversation for 100 hours. Um, but I realize that we both have to go do other things. But um, before I let you go, what are some of you, what's your favorite thing about your Gen Z peers? Um, whether it's naming related or just general observation of humans that you interact with in your peer cohort, what's your favorite thing? Yeah, I really love our capacity for change. You know, we've seen a big societal shift or we're, we're kind of at the forefront of it right now uh, from, you know, names are, are one and done. You get a name, you can't change it, that it's yours forever to names are something that you can change if it's not the right fit for, for whatever reason, right? That's that's really in your hands. And, you know, there's a lot more openness about gender identity in names. I'm noticing this even among my my friends who you know for the most part aren't really having children yet but are thinking about names and are like yeah I, I want something that's gender neutral I, I don't want people to be able to assume my child is male or female just based on their name and I also really love the the creativity and acceptance that Gen Z has you know the name pool is expanding because of Gen Z parents and you know I think Gen Z is really teaching people to be more accepting of of names and you know anything can be a name and I think that's really cool 
I will agree that there's just an element of like just being who you are. It's awesome with Gen Z is like, and they're still going to love you no matter what, which is great. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, Sophie, thank you so much for being here and sharing so many really cool insights. And like, I think some people are like, pop their baby names. There's no science to that. And you're like, he's whole through the data, which I love about, I love that about not only the work that you do, but name bears doing. Um, if people want to follow both um, your work as you as Sophie, but also Nameberry, can you direct them and kind of where's the best place for them to keep up with some of the great stuff that y'all are doing? Yeah, definitely. Our website, nameberry.com is going to be the best place to find everything. You know, we're also on social media at Nameberry. We're very active on, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We also have, uh, you know, uh, a TikTok that is, that, that is getting, uh, some work. We're, we're trying to figure that one out. Older, older Gen Z here. Um, <laughs> And then um, you can find all of my, my my personal channels through my website, sophiekeem.com. Wonderful. And I will make sure to link all of that so that people can get the, all the name goodies, really, all the in- insights. So if you're working on naming kids um, or just interested, I find names to just be fascinating. I love looking at people's names. Um, and I know that Nameberry has that, but you kind of have like the historical research that you can do on stuff. And yeah. like, what does your name mean? Which is so, I think that's a really fun name, a really fun thing to do. Um, so, Sophie, thank you again. It has been a delight. Um, I next time in Chicago, I'm just going to take you to coffee and talk all the names. <laughs> but thank you for being here. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. This was so great. And it was so lovely to talk to you. I want to say thank you to Sophie for such a fun and insightful conversation. I know I don't sit and think about naming trends often, but names are such an important thing to think about. It's who we are and how we navigate the world. As Sophie shared, names speak a lot to the values of our parents and what they want for us. And this isn't too different than the way we think about how parental generations play a role in handing down values and perspectives through parenting and child raising practices. What is interesting is that the agency and an acceptance that Generation Z is role modeling though. If they find their given name doesn't align with who they are, they're willing to change it to be more connected with who they are. But we're seeing that young people are also being more accepting of different names and appreciating and celebrating names that come from special parts of who they are, like their heritage, interests, or passions. Names are much more than just we write on our school assignments and formal documents. Names are often the first thing we say when someone asks, who are you? As personal identity and value of expression play a huge part in culture. I'm so glad we could explore this facet of Generation Z's cohort culture. And finally, thank you for tuning into this episode. Before we formally wrap up, I will finally answer the question, how did Gen Z get its name? First, there isn't any one person or group that gets to decide the name of a generation. Our best guess is that Gen Z got its name stemming back from Generation X. Gen X got its name because of an article that was written about how they were stuck in the middle, i.e. the X, between two larger generations but also between social movements, between technological advancements, etc. Millennials were originally and still sometimes referred to as Gen Y to follow Gen X, but their name took to the millennials when the turn of the millennium took place in the year 2000, which was during their formative years and was a big historical event that would mark their cohort, which leads us to Gen Z because they follow Gen X and Gen Y slash millennials, Z made sense. Many have tried to rename or give this generation a a new trendy name, but it always keeps coming back to Gen Z because letters are honestly just more inclusive to the fact that there's many defining factors that shape this generation. 
That is the short explanation. But if you'd like a longer version, we cover that in our books, Generation Z, A Century in the Making. And I also have a blog uh, article on my website, meganmgrace.com. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It is truly helping other people listen and find the show, but um, it also helps them determine if it's a good fit for them. This episode does mark the end of season four. While I'm looking forward to a bit of a break, I'm always looking forward to the next season and what the slate of topics might be. So if there's something you want to explore together, you have an idea of something you want to learn about or someone that I need to chat with, please reach out via my website, meganmgrace.com or on social media. You can find me on most platforms at Megan M. Grace and be sure to catch up there. As a listener of this podcast, you're part of the learning adventure and I'm always happy to look more into something you want to learn about. Thank you again for stopping by for this episode and this season. Let's continue this conversation. We'll chat soon. Yeah.